Well, hello, everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you, Caitlin? I am spectacular. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you so happy? I get my house back at the end of the week. Oh, I am so happy for you. That is awesome news. Me, I'm so happy too. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you who haven't been keeping track of my endless complaints, I'm sorry, by the way, (laughs) between the Texas heat and my mother-in-law living with us since the spring, things have been a little bit tense around here, but she is leaving at the end of this week. My husband is taking her back home and, and hopefully everything will be fine. And I am celebrating by using our shiny new carpet cleaner to clean the entire house while no one is home. I'm very excited. (laughs) I don't know why that's my favorite thing about it, but I'm so excited that like no one's going to be walking down the hallways after I clean the carpet. You know, I I think that's when you know you're an adult or like you're grown up when it's like, I just get to clean at home by myself. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's when you know you've reached a new age level. That is probably it, because I had to suck it up, and we had to buy a carpet cleaner when our air conditioner flooded, and so my celebration is to use it everywhere and and clean the whole house. (laughs) No, I love it. I'm so excited. I totally get it. Like, when I just have the house to myself, and it's clean, and there's no adorable, but messy little one to come in and, like, wreck it again, it's like... Oh, it's just like so nice just to be able to get everything clean and have it stay clean. I I totally get it. Yeah. And I mean, like, to be clear, I still love her and I still like her as a person. But to give you all context, Mm -hmm. she has not left the house for anything more than the grocery store since she got here in April. Mm -hmm. I have not had more than an hour or two without somebody in the house since April. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that would drive, no matter how nice a person is, that would drive anybody crazy. <laughs> exactly. Like, if she'd gotten a life of any sort, or or gone to meetings, or started volunteering nearby, or even kept up with walking with the neighbor. Apparently, that was too much socializing for her. It was, it's, mm, it's been a rough couple of months. But hopefully, her leaving will preserve yeah. the fact that I like her as a person, and and we will be okay in the future. <laughs> Hope they have safe travels, and I'm excited for you to get a little privacy and just have your house back. Yes, I'm very excited, and I'm very grateful, and um, I'm very much looking forward to being able to have guests use the guest room again, because, like, our spirit guide (laughs) hasn't been able to come up for a full weekend with friends, and you haven't been able to visit me yet, because you didn't visit me the first year and a half I was here without her. Um, I know. So I, I am know, looking forward to, to visitors and having a guest room and yes. all of the wonderful things that yeah. that life can have, I am hoping will happen again. That's awesome. Well, very good. I'm happy for you. Thank you. How are you doing? I am good. Um, we are getting ready to go back to my hometown because we went back before just for a visit uh, before school started. And now this weekend is my actual high school reunion. Like it is happening this weekend. So um, that, I mean, it's, I I don't care. Um, It's been 20 years. So it's going to be interesting. I'm only a year behind you. Why you got to say stuff like that? (laughs) (laughs) I know because I mean, aren't you this way? It still feels like it's been 10 years since high school. Like in my head, it's been like 10 years 
So it's just weird to hear, hear me say 20. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun and get to see my parents. But just get to see some classmates I literally probably haven't seen, at least in 10 years or gradu- since graduation. So that'll be fun. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I think so, too. It'll be a very quick trip. Like, I feel like 48 hours and we're back. That's we're just kind of getting ready for that and getting packed and got to figure out what I'm going to wear. You know, all the typicals. What what are you going to wear when you haven't seen these some of these people in 20 years? Like, what do you wear? So, you know, all that stuff. But always good to get out to the country, like, and kind of get out of the city and get to the country, even if it's just, like, for a very short time and go home for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I have almost no desire to go home, but my parents aren't there anymore. And... Actually, I wouldn't mind seeing a couple of my cousins. They're in at least the area. All the all, all the cousins I'm closest to, like they don't they don't really left. They yeah. moved to like Alaska and Wyoming and stuff. Like Wyoming, Texas, and Alaska. We are such extra people. Wow, <laughs> y'all are spread out, but some beautiful places. I mean, it's gorgeous. We all compete for who has the best pictures. Sometimes it's a lot of fun. But yeah, no, because I. I wouldn't mind going back and seeing a few people, um, but like the hometown itself, like, n- n- nah, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any, <laughs> don't have any real need to go back to that part. But no, yeah, yeah, absolutely, especially when you can go spend time with people that you enjoy and be out connecting with nature. Absolutely, no argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and my husband's like been joking with me because I don't know how many of them know. Well, I mean, I have my regular job. But then I have my other new job and the podcast. He's like, so are you going to tell people? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Walk up and be like, hey, we haven't talked in 20 years. By the way, now I talk to dead people. (laughs) FYI. Maybe an easier introduction will be like, yeah, I'm I'm leaving my job at the museum. Oh, what are you doing now? Enter podcast. (laughs) Yes. Let the podcast introduce it to them so you don't have to see the look on their face. Yeah, exactly. No, um, no, I'm just teasing. But I'm like, how do you, do we bring that up? Do we not bring that up? Do they know? <laughs> That's true. Curious. Given how many people in that town are listening to the podcast, they may already know. Someone else may I out know. you to the group. Seriously, shout out to my hometown and thank you to all the listeners. And one of our listeners, special shout out to Casey, gave us our topic for the next episode. It was a listener suggestion. Thank you. And that's a great reminder right before we get started. If you have a topic you want us to talk about, look into, um, send us a message, send us an email, because we may just talk about it. And speaking of shout outs, actually, thank you, Melissa, for linking us to the live stream tour of the Lilydale event that you went to. That was so cool for us to be able to see. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. That's awesome. We love hearing from all of you. So please, like, message us, reach out to us. Yes, for sure. We really like knowing, A, that you're there. um, (laughs) Because otherwise we feel like we're in an endless seance where no one ever reaches back. But... (laughs) In general, we really like getting your feedback and hearing what you're interested in and what you're up to, because I know we're not the only ones out there like doing things with the spirits and being able to go on tours in Lilydale and going to different events or even just going to your first reading or something. Let us know how it went. We're curious. We care. Oh, and um, if you have a story, like a story about something that happened to you that you're willing to share, you can even make it anonymous. Send it to us and we'll 
we'll share it on the show. Yeah, we're wanting to do another listeners episode. So give us what you got. What happened? <laughs> what has happened to you as kids? What has happened to you as adults? Yeah. What experiences with the spirits have you had or with anything? I mean, it doesn't have to be a specific spirit. You can make me dig into folklore. I will not complain. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, we do have a very interesting spirited topic tonight, and I don't know much about these guys, so I can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm excited, too. We thought we'd get back at the biographies because it's been a hot minute since we covered a bio. And so today we thought we'd talk about, and by we, I do mean the royal we because Caitlin's covering it. Um, (laughs) We thought we'd talk about the Davenport brothers. You all probably think they sound familiar because we mentioned them in the Tricks of the Seance episode, specifically with the Spirit Cabinet. And we will get into its origins and their origins and everything right now. So Ira, (laughs) right? Same. So Ira and William Davenport were both born in Buffalo, New York. So again, we're in New England. Mm. Ira was born in 1839 and William was born in 1841, several years before the Fox sisters entered the limelight. And according to articles like SydneyMagic.com, soon after William's birth, rumors started about the brothers having stories of flying objects, seances, and levitations all connected with the boys. Wow. Yeah. Uh, The Davenports began performing in public in 1854, about six years after the wrappings in Hydesville and the spiritualism movement took off in the U.S. After the stories of the Fox sisters began to receive public attention, the Davenports started reporting similar occurrences happening to them. Their father resigned from his police job and took up managing his sons full time. And the group was then joined by William Fay, a Buffalo resident with an interest in conjuring. Their shows would be introduced by a former Restoration Movement minister, Dr. J.B. Ferguson. He comes up a lot in the story. Mm -hmm. And he was a longtime follower of spiritualism and would assure the audience that the brothers worked by spirit power alone rather than the deceptive trickery of more commercial magicians. From what I read on Magipedia, Ferguson actually really did believe that the Davenports were possessed of real spiritual powers, so any misleading that he did was basically an honest mistake. Oh, okay. Okay. So the spirit box, which is what we know them for. Their first public performances were in an auditorium with rows of seats, and they were done on a small raised platform. Okay. And this part will sound familiar. Someone in the audience asked if it would be possible for them to perform while in a box. The motivation was to prevent interference or assistance from accomplices. So, oh, yeah, that's why they started it. Yeah. Like there was there was a little more rational thought in there than we thought there was. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Okay, this kind of had a little mind blown moment like, aha. Okay, continue. No, yeah, I had the same thought when I read that part because when I we covered it in the Tricks of the Seance episode, right? Who would put them in a box out of view where they could do whatever they wanted? In what world does that make sense? But apparently, they were worried about accomplices helping the boys out, and so they wanted them locked up and away from the audience. Oh, okay. I'm starting to appreciate it a little more now. Yes, it's a little less obviously stupid than we thought it was. Oh, no, I've already learned something new. So I am excited. Yes. And I mean, like the guy, the the brothers complied because they were like, yes, we're out of sight. We're in total darkness. We no one can see us. 
like the reasons that they were excited about it were the same reasons we had for thinking why would this be a good idea yeah but the initial audience member did have a good motivation and eventually this box developed into the full-scale cabinet that we know of Mm -hmm. Um, this is what the davenports were known for the brothers were tied up and closed inside a large box that held some musical instruments Once the box was closed, the instruments would play, wrappings could be heard, and objects would move or fly around the room. And then once the box was opened at the end, the brothers would still be found inside, tied up in the same position that they had started in. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Okay. So they would put it all inside with them or would they, would the instruments, okay, so they'd be inside the spirit cabinet with them. The instruments would be in there with them. Like, I don't know if it was on the benches next to them, on the floor, hooked on the sides. That part wasn't really made clear. Right. Um, And we do have some descriptions of the box. And so Uh given those descriptions, I'm not surprised that it caused as big a stir as it did in the spiritualism Uh world. Because it was in the middle of the stage, obviously. The box itself was more than six feet tall. And then it was on top of two foot tall supports. Oh, wow. Eight feet into the air. It was a like a very nicely built box. Apparently Uh the original one was bird's eye maple. And, oh, wow. like, the supports had carved designs of vines and the fleur-de-lis. Oh. I don't know why I've always just thought it would just be a... I don't know why, like, a plywood box. I don't know why I've always thought that. But just something really simple. I had no idea it was so ornate. I had the same thought, actually. I always thought of, like, those... Um, uh, they're, like, they're... They're kind of like mobile pantries for the kitchen where it's like basic painted plywood and it's a box with two little doors that open and you Uh have a couple shelves inside. Like, I thought it was that, but not painted white. And no, I had three doors. It was gigantic. It was on highly carved supports. It dominated the stage, obviously. Uh And yeah, no, it was it was well more way more thought out than than we thought it was. (laughs) We're I mean, they're kind of like. We're kind of becoming converse, <laughs> like the spirit box. They're like bringing us over a little bit. I mean, we are a little bit like we're we're given to being appreciative of true showmanship. Like true. if you're going to present with some showmanship and some ostentation, we'll at least give you a little attention. Mm-hmm. That's what it's for. Yes. But yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a little more impressed than I was before. <laughs> <laughs> now their tours were periodically interrupted with riots actually <gasps> oh. and this would generally be because the performers the brothers would be uh-huh. upset about the way they were tied people would come up and they would insist on tying the knots a different way and apparently the brothers would be a little upset or annoyed by this and several times people smashed the cabinet into bits <gasps> and uh <laughs> oh my gosh and Ira, the older brother, is actually quoted as saying, "Sharpers, or you know, people who would sell on the cheap, um, mm-hmm. they reaped such a rich harvest selling bogus pieces of smashed Davenport cabinet. Wood enough was sold in small pieces to make ten times as many cabinets as the Dever- Davenport brothers ever used." Wow. Uh, yeah, they would, they would, they would just riot oh. and smash the cabinet as part of the action. Oh my gosh! So we were just talking about how elaborate these are. Apparently, they're having to make them. Over. A couple of times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While overseas. Because, like, one of the big ones that's talked about is was in Liverpool. Wow. Uh, Liverpool, England, specifically, because we know there's a few of them. And that one happened when... Okay, so I have conflicting stories on this one. Okay. One version says that Ferguson, the reverend that would mm-hmm. announce them, 
Um, he protested the way the boys had been secured, and without waiting for the brothers to say anything, he pulled out a knife and cut the brothers free. Uh-huh. Another version says that the brothers protested when the ropes were tied unfairly tight, and they asked Ferguson to cut the ropes. Oh, okay. And the conflict with that one is apparently later on, Ira was talking about that he was of the opinion there was no way that the boys could be tied, that they couldn't work themselves free when he was talking to Houdini later. He was like, I mean, that's the story, but there's no way you could tie us that we wouldn't be able to work our way free and then do things. Admittedly, he's talking to Houdini. So I have to wonder if a little bit of bragging is happening. I I mean, I kind of think so. And I can see why people would question, like, the ropes can only be tied a certain way. If you're going to tie it a different way, we're not happy because why would it matter how they were tied? Exactly. The idea is that you're stabilized so that the spirits are doing all the work. I will say that a couple of times they will say things like uh, it's cutting off circulation and then they wanted to avoid injury. Okay. So I get that. It's possible that they're tying them enthusiastically tight. I understand that. But there are also situations where they'll have a doctor come up afterwards and be like, no, I can slip my finger under the rope. It's not too tight. You're good. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a little bit challenging in that case. Mm hmm. After the riot in Liverpool, they were also greeted with hostility at Hull, Huddersfield, and Leeds. Oh. (laughs) The Davenports later wrote a letter to Ferguson saying that if we were mere jugglers, we should meet with no violence or should we find no or should we find protection? Could we declare that these things were done in our presence that were mere deceptions of the senses? We should no doubt reap a plentiful harvest of money and applause. Mm -hmm. As tricks, they would transcend. According to the testimony of experienced observers, any ever exhibited in the Occident or the Orient. Hmm. The wonders of the cabinet or still more or the dark seance surpass all pretensions of conjurers. We should safely deftly or we should safely defy the world to equal them and be honored for our dexterity. But we are not jugglers and truthfully declare we are not. We are mobbed from town to town and our property destroyed and our lives imperiled. Ooh. Huh. Yeah. I mean, part of my first thought is if y'all if, if they are doing this and producing this physical like phenomena, why Get rid of the cabinet. Just do it. That would be my first thought. But can they do it without the cabinet? I don't know. I, me neither. Uh, I I have I have the same I have the same question. Especially given that my introduction to them was the interview with Houdini. Mm. So I've I've got a skewed perception of this already. But like, there are some people that their their accounts of the situation really do bring to bear. I mean, was there some truth? Yeah. Hmm. After after their misadventures in England, they went on to France and they actually weren't able to get the necessary permits that they needed to perform in public for a while because the authorities were so worried about repeating the incidents in England. Oh, my gosh. And then when they did finally get to perform, a friend of a conjurer named Robin... I don't know why they said that like we'd know who he was. (laughs) (laughs) But the friend of this conjurer went up to the platform in order to examine the cabinet. And then he tore off the rail of one of the seats and yelled that he found a spring. And of course, chaos erupted and the police cleared the room. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, they can't like complete a show like they can't. 
They wow. really can't. Seances were allowed to continue a few days later, but they capped attendance at 60 people. Oh, I would. I, at this point, I'd just be rethinking the whole spirit cabinet. Like, let's just do something <laughs> different at this right? point. Ectoplasm at this point is a better move. I agree. Go for that. <laughs> I mean, you all know that I don't like ectoplasm, but I would absolutely advocate for ectoplasm at this point in order to keep you from being mobbed. A hundred percent. I mean... How many spirit cabinets do you have to go through before you're like, enough is enough. Like, we're done. Right? Like, you're having to invest in good lumber to build a very elaborate cabinet over and over and over. I mean, at that point, go to some pine or like go to something simple that's going to be like, you know what's going to happen. Exactly. I mean, to be fair, I only I only came across an account of the first one being Bird's Eye Maple. Mm. Um, and apparently that one was actually pawned while they were in Cuba. Hmm. And w- when Houdini published in 1924, apparently it was still available to view. So I don't know what's happened to it. Google was not helpful in that respect. <laughs> I don't know who has it or if it's fallen into disrepair or what. But by 1924, it was still available to be seen in Cuba. I wonder if that's like in somebody's house and they're just like storing stuff in it and have... I hope so. Have no idea what it is. I sincerely hope that someone just is randomly storing dishes or linens (laughs) in this cabinet. Oh, I mean, I would love for it to be still be around. Absolutely. Wow. (laughs) Interesting. In Cuba, of all places. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Hmm. Because I don't remember finding anything about them being in Cuba, so I don't know how it ended up there or why Houdini knew that's where it was. I don't know. Anyway, before they left Paris, the Davenports were summoned to appear before the Emperor and Empress Napoleon at the Palace of St. Cloud. Ooh. A party of 40 witnessed their demonstrations with astonishment, and they were well received in Belgium and then appeared in St. Mm-hmm. Petersburg before the Tsar at the Winter Palace. Wow. I mean, they are getting around. Yep. And they have a lot of followers because their first public seance in St. Petersburg was attended by a thousand people. So much. They're really well received there more so than England. Just don't go to yeah. England. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, England was not a good move for them, no. But that's amazing. And I mean, the czar, that's impressive. Yeah, like they're hitting the, like the heavy hitters are where they're performing. They're getting very powerful people attending their shows. And Mm. the emperor and empress didn't have any problems with them. So Mm -mm. I don't know. I mean, meanwhile, a a number of famous musicians, including John Henry Anderson and Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin, not Houdini, uh, they were working to expose the Davenport brothers as frauds, both by writing exposés and performing duplicate versions of their techniques in their own acts. Oh, gotcha. And then, of course, because he can't go 10 minutes without talking about something to get himself attention, P.T. Barnum weighed in with an expose <laughs> of the Davenports in his 1865 book, The Humbugs of the World. Which I think is a bold <gasps> title for him to use. I agree. And I mean, isn't it his cousin that has the Fox sisters like at the hotel? The Fox sister was staying at his cousin's hotel and he's like the king of humbuggery himself. So in his book titled <laughs> Humbugs of the World, like, dude. I mean, from what it sounds like so far, the Davenport brothers feel very polarizing. Like you either hate them or... Or you love them. That is my impression, too. I, I think that's a big part of it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so Barnum's quote 
didn't pull any punches. It begins with, there can be little doubt that the brothers were not genuine spirit mediums. Exposures were common and easily achieved by lighting a match during the seances to find the brothers free of their bonds, prancing around the floor. Magicians such as Anderson, Dexter, and Mascaline duplicated and often surpassed the effects created. David Devant states that Mascaline's whole career in magic started with imitations of the Davenport's rope-slipping prowess. And Harry Keller, soon to become one of the foremost illusionists of the world, actually worked and traveled with the show, later featuring a spirit cabinet routine in his own magic show. Exposures mattered little. Those who wished to believe simply ignored the evidence, as do many people today when faced with the facts which detract from their favorite paranormal beliefs. Again, big words coming from P.T. Barnum. (laughs) They are. Like, he of all people can't judge people for believing in things because that was his whole shtick Uh, yeah i'm really surprised he could even like put it like through his hat in the string and had an opinion on it like okay at some point they got tired of the northern hemisphere and uh i mean india is part of the northern hemisphere but in 1876 the brothers toured india and then went down to australia with William Marion Fay as the master of ceremonies. Also in the company was Mr. E.D. Davies, billed as the premier ventriloquist of the world. This likely cast their performances afterwards in the light of a theatrical entertainment rather than a mystical demonstration. Which was probably a good move because I don't have any accounts of any riots happening in Australia. I mean, I'm just amazed they've been to India and now Australia. Right? Yeah. They were all over the place, which, I mean, after... Realizing they'd been in India and in Australia. Cuba is less confusing, but I still want to know when they even went south in the U.S. Because New England, down past Florida to Cuba, is an entirely different trek than New England to England to France to Mm -hmm. India to Australia. Like, that's a different trajectory. Right. Wow, but I mean, they are world travelers. They are everywhere. And by this point, audiences and newspapers seemed to have little interest in whether they were in cahoots with the spirit world or not. There wasn't really any speculation as to whether or not they remained tied or they freed themselves. It was assumed that they escaped their bonds. And performances had degenerated into a battle of wits, more of rope tying competition than an exhibition of spirit phenomena. In this respect, the Davenport's act was as much an escapology act as Houdini's was. And in 1877, they met a defeat that finished their careers. (gasps) Yes. Two reports from New Zealand described how the brothers were defeated by the Tom Fool's Knot in Auckland in late May. According to the Southland Times, it appears the celebrated Davenport brothers have been undone as professionals through an inability to undo themselves when tied before a public audience in Auckland. The Davenports were effectively tied up by the mayor and Mr. Hesketh, a solicitor, after the tying had proceeded so far that their hands were firmly secured behind their backs, there seemed to be a very excited exchange going on between the mayor and Ira Davenport, in which the latter was heard accosting the mayor in violent terms, asserting that the ropes were tied so tightly as to injure him. Mr. Hurst stated to the audience that his subject complained of being brutally tied, and he was satisfied this was not the case, and if a medical man was present, he could leave the matter to his judgment. There was a loud uproar Mm -hmm. as the crowd called for a doctor. Dr. Hooper went on stage amid much cheering. He carefully examined the rope and declared that the tying was not excessive. He could, in fact, put his finger between the ropes and flesh, and there was no stoppage of the circulation. 
Ira, in a loud whisper to the mayor, said, I say untie it. I am the best judge of whether tying is brutal or not. William Davenport, his brother, who looked very ill, also said the tying was painful and stopped circulation. A scene of great confusion here ensued. Ira Davenport doggedly demanding that he should be untied and his worship declining to unloosen the knots. The audience were in an uproar, shouting that the Davenport should confess themselves beaten and apologize. Both brothers positively refused to go on and persisted the demand for liberation. William was eventually let loose and slackened the ropes to his brother. There was no reason whatever to believe that the tying had been unduly severe, and the spectators, satisfied of this, marked their approbation in continual groaning. So, all kinds of boos. Wow. And this kind of killed their reputation for a time in... Basically forever, because... The kicker here is that whether or not this was the knot that defied them as people, this is where we start hearing accounts of the younger brother, William, being sick. Yes. Oh. We, he, we have letters that talk about him having a sheen of sweat showing when Ira was more or less fine. And uh-huh. given that he eventually passed from tuberculosis, I'm kind of surprised they didn't ma- <gasps> mention coughing at all. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Although, given his illness and the resignation, like, you know, that he's going to die soon, Mm -hmm. only a few months before he passed, he got married again. What? (laughs) And, and like, they knew he was sick. Knew he was sick, his death was predicted, and he went ahead and married Miss Eva Nora Lang Davies. Uh, She was a 19-year-old solo pianist traveling with a company. Uh Uh-huh. And she was the daughter of the ventriloquist Davies. Okay. And in later newspaper advertisements, she was billed as Mrs. W.H.H. Davenport. So legal marriage as far as we know. Mm -hmm. And then the source of his illness was apparently his first wife. Oh. So this is where we have a little bit of scandal in their past. Because okay. uh, William had been married previously and in secret to the flamboyant, scandalous star Ada Isaacs Mencken. Okay. She is a whole character. She was really well known. She was called the Tigress. It was very impressive. Oh my gosh. And their marriage only lasted three years. <laughs> uh, part of uh-huh. which Mencken was actually still legally married to her first husband, Robert Newell. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> Ooh, and that's a big deal yeah. back then. I mean, it'd be a big deal now, but even back then, it's Exactly. Huge. William and Ada endured a tempestuous relationship and breakup, and then an equally fiery reunion in 1866. The fact that we have records of this tells you how much attention was paid to their drama. Not because people yes. were that bored, but because they were grabbing that much attention. Oh, my gosh. Um, but the, the, the important takeaway here is that following their final separation in 1867, Ada, his wife, her life spiraled out of control and she suffered violent coughing fits. And she passed at only 33. Ooh. So it's really probable that she may have been the one who had tuberculosis first. Yeah. No, that. Gosh. And at 33, that's. It's younger than both of us. It, I was about to say that's so young and to have such a life in like that short amount of time. True. She did cram an awful lot of life in there. But wow. Mm. And William did eventually pass while in Sydney. According to a report in the Town and Country Journal, doctors advised him to leave New Zealand and return to Australia for the benefit of his health. My guess is the same reason they were telling people in New England to go south and people in the south to go west. You want warmer and then drier air. 
I'm guessing he wanted him to go to the areas of Australia where it's a little bit drier. Right. Uh, but he eventually passed at the age of 36 in 1877. Wow. Still so young. After William died, Ira returned to the U.S. and briefly attempted to revive the show in 1895. And it was an absolute failure. And mm. Ira himself passed in 1911. Wow. But I did mention several times that obviously before his death, because Houdini was a little anti-spiritualistic there by the end. Um, <laughs> Just a Before his bit. death in 1911, <laughs> Ira interviewed and hung out with Harry Houdini. Uh-huh. Ira went into detail about how he and his brother actually never confirmed their belief in spiritualism and the announcements that Dr. Ferguson made were part of the act and part of Dr. Ferguson's beliefs in their skills. I mean, this is really interesting because this feels very different than the Fox sisters. It does. And like their confession. Like the Fox sisters, especially since when Maggie goes into detail about how they use their knuckles to pop, that mm -hmm. doesn't sound like the raps you hear all over the room. Right. In so many of the accounts. Whereas Ira actually goes to the point where he's showing Houdini how to do the knot tying trick so that you can escape without being seen, like without being noticed. You can get back into the knots without using your hands. Because right. one of the ways they would test the brothers, there's actually a whole scandal around it that didn't really happen, apparently. They tried to test the brothers by putting uh, flour in their hands uh -huh. and then tying them up so that if they saw flour in their hands at the end, then they know that they hadn't opened up their hands to untie the knots. Right. And in the the story goes that there was one guy who swapped out the flour for snuff, tobacco. Uh-huh. And at the end of the show, there was flour in their hands. So clearly they just keep flour in their pockets. Oh. I mean, you've seen Victorian pants. You know how badly that's going to go if you keep a pouch of flour in your pants that's going to go everywhere. Yeah. But Ira's response to that story was, A, it didn't happen, but B... Because we didn't have to open our fists to get free from the knots. Oh, see, I, yeah, this is very different because I feel like with the Fox sister confession, that was almost really out of desperation, maybe a little revenge. But this. A whole lot of spite. Yeah. Yeah, spite. But this feels almost like what you were saying earlier with Houdini, like bragging about it and. Here's how we pulled this off. It just feels like a whole different ballgame. Especially since Houdini's known for like, this is all me. I am not helped by the spirits. Right. This is my skill and dexterity mm -hmm. and I'm crafty. So having someone who wants to talk to him about how they're also crafty and skilled yeah. and dexterous, it kind of makes more sense. But again, I have to admit, my introduction to the details of their story was a magician among the spirits when I listened to Harry Houdini's story mm -hmm. about his engagement with spiritualists. So right. I came in with a tainted point of view or a tainted point of view. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it it seems very much like they were they were frauds, but they weren't the same kind of frauds we usually talk about right. because they found a technicality in their loophole where they themselves never said they were spiritualists. Oh, okay. So they never, yeah, they never claimed it. Other people claimed it and they actively let those people claim it, mm -hmm. but they themselves never said it. So it's a different kind of like, ooh, you're getting off on a technicality there, bud, but it's close. Well, exactly. And and I really, and I'm, I'm being honest because I, I didn't really know much about the Davenport brothers. Do you, because you said it started when they were young. Do you think at any point... They really were communicating with spirits or 
and then it evolved? It's hard to tell because all of the accounts that I read that had it starting early, uh-huh. they all said more or less the same thing. So I don't know if they actually had things happening after William was born mm-hmm. or if after the Fox sisters hit the stage, they were like, yeah, no, we've had this happening since William was a baby. Gotcha. It's been this way the whole time. Yeah. Or at the same time, weird stuff happens around newborns. We both know that. It does happen around newborns. Um, sometimes when you go through a big life event, you, as I say, wake up to, <laughs> to your abilities. <laughs> Which, um, so yeah, the, I mean, any big life event, including the birth of a baby, can open up a whole lot of things and and children we know also see so they may have seen spirits when they were little because children usually do yeah it's quite plausible that they had several events happen when they were little mm-hmm. they grew out of it they convinced themselves it wasn't a thing anymore they became tricksters of a short of a sort yeah. and then continued their lives with rope tying tricks on stage yeah the, it's funny the more hearing about their story the more it almost in a weird way, which I won't suspect this, validates the Fox sisters. Like, because it's like starting off as children, being, I don't know. It's just like, it makes Maggie and them, it's like, I already think they were mediums and I think it was real. But it's like, compare, I don't know. Does that make sense? But it's like, maybe that's just in my head. I'm like, the ob- to me, the Davenport brothers, it's probably fraud. Yeah. And what the Fox sisters were doing, I believe was real. I I know what you're saying. Uh-huh. Like being able to point concretely at a fraud that's on this end of the spectrum, uh-huh. you can see how the sisters would be further over here on the spectrum where there's a lot of authenticity to what they did. Yes. I think they were more like not quite all the way to authentic only because mm-hmm. they were up and practicing while inebriated. During the golden age of spiritualism when we had a lot of tomfoolery going on. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to keep up with that kind of showmanship, fraud is a very tempting option to mm-hmm. make sure you keep the audience That's coming true. back. That's true. So, I mean, my whole thing for the Fox sisters from the jump has been like, they could have started as valid and bounced around between fraud and valid mm-hmm. as needed because they were stressed. They were performing like 7,000 times a week. Mm-hmm. somebody's not-quite-husband was being a jerk <laughs> and messing with her in lots of ways that I've already made abundantly clear I am not okay with. And, yeah, I, I think the sisters were more on the authentic side with some fraudulent activities involved because, mm-hmm. yeah, looking at their stage progression, there's no way that they wouldn't have they'd have burned themselves out way sooner otherwise yeah and then having uh, the barometer being able to mark against the davenport brothers yeah i can definitely see the logic playing out where <laughs> all right this is this is definitely fraud this is potentially probably sometimes fraud okay good because <laughs> i was like do we just have to cut that whole jessica going on a mind like like trying to figure this out <laughs> I mean, if if Bree decides to cut it anyway, because I also kind of rambled there for a hot minute, <laughs> that is also fine. I very rarely take it personally when my sister cuts things that I've said. <laughs> well, but I mean, if if okay, if it's left in, I think. But I mean, it's. But I think that's part of this journey because we're learning and learning even more about these people and kind of looking at the time period and what else is going on during this time period and who else is out in the world. 
And so I think it kind of makes sense a little bit to compare them and look at who's doing what. I mean, when they're contemporaries, it's really hard not to draw parallels between their techniques. Like when we cover some other people coming forward, like we're eventually going to cover Houdini himself. This is definitely going to come up. Right. We know that he looked at the Fox sisters. We absolutely know that Victoria Woodhall and her sister had a whole lot of interaction between people who at least knew everyone we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. Like, that was why we set the stage to begin the podcast, because we're like, how do we cover all of these people who all talked to each other without getting confusing? Yeah. Ex- well, Like, exactly. we had to set the stage. And, and it's something to be said for physical mediumship. And I'm wondering if that's why it kind of... Because just a reminder, physical mediumship is like the instruments playing on their own, the raps, the ectoplasm, all of that, where today... I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I probably 99% of the time it's all mental mediumship. It's a medium up there delivering the information. And it, it kind of makes me wonder if we've gone to mental mediumship because of things like this in the past. I, yeah. That it happened. <laughs> I, I a thousand percent think that that's <laughs> at least a big part of what happened. Because when you go that big, that showy and that obvious with so mm-hmm. many frauds utilizing the ability to physically manipulate things in the space. Right. The flip side to that is like, no, I don't use instruments. No, I don't use that. No, I don't do that either. I am simply here and I'm dealing with the spirits and I'll convey a message to you as a direct contrast yes. to the P.T. Barnum effect, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, well, I mean, but you're right. And and that's, I don't, I don't know if really... I don't want to say no one does it, but I don't, I can't think of an example of someone that does physical mediumship right now that's like on a world stage that people can see. And I mean, I yeah. it, you don't see it. No, even when I was going over my parts of the tricks of the seance, all of the really famous mediums, it was all mental mediumship. None of no one mm-hmm. did physical stuff. Mm-mm. And in all honesty, most of the times that you hear people talk when you hear people talking about. It's going to be a little on point for what I say next. When you hear people talking about the things that they hear, it's it's usually on the lines of clairaudience. It's very rarely more than one person hearing it. And even then, it's not tech. I don't know if it's physical manifestation when it's stuff like we all heard footsteps upstairs in the hallway. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Like that's usually the only group effect you hear anymore. How are the Davenport brothers kind of... I mean, I know skeptics are going to rule all these people frauds. Like, I know that's the skeptics. But like in this. Yeah, obviously. But in the spiritualist world or spiritual, like, how are they viewed today? Are they kind of well respected and viewed as authentic or kind of looked down upon? I guess I admittedly, I've only done like a week and a half's worth of research beyond my initial understanding (laughs) of them. But Uh from what I can tell, they don't come up a lot in spiritualist circles. And Mm -hmm. because the final word, more or less, was the interview with Houdini, they're seen as showmanship frauds, not as spiritualists. And that get-out-of-jail-free card with the fact that they never technically build themselves as spiritualists goes a long Mm -hmm. way to preventing a lot of sour grapes, basically. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, I think if you do an interview with Houdini and say, here's how we did it, you're kind of done after that. Yeah. I mean. Especially if Houdini's like, oh, yeah, now I know how to do the trick, too. Ooh. 
Yeah, no. Because, I mean, and, and it's funny. I feel like we're just saving Houdini. Like, we can't wait to get to him, but it's like we're just saving him. But, I mean, <laughs> this is someone actively trying to prove that spiritualism and mediumship and all of this is fraudulent. Like, he's almost, I almost want to say he's like public enemy number one for, like, mediums. <laughs> And I know there's more to that story. I understand that. But it's like, you're going to go to him and be like, here's how we did it all. It's like, yeah, I kind of feel like you're done. Like, I mean, he was already done before yeah. that because he interviewed Houdini or he interviewed with Houdini in, oh, of course, I didn't write that date down. Um, it was after he came back, like after William had passed and Ira was post final resolution failure like 1895 it does not work we're not gonna be able to get the show back a few years after that he wrote to houdini he's like yeah come hang out i'll tell you stuff wow so it's not like there was a reputation left to revive yeah well that is true maybe he's like what do i have to lose at this point and he wanted to talk to somebody else who would appreciate the skill that went into their rope tying abilities yeah i think and you know just because i think that word is so like Oh, such like a negative word for this, what we do and mediumship and all this. So I never want to say anyone's a fraud, but I think this is the first, like the first mediums we've talked about that I have doubts that I'm like, "Mm, don't know if I fully believe in it. Like, I mean, without saying that word or without going that far, but I know, isn't that funny? It's like, I just can't, can't, but I mean, I, I really, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the Davenports. Other, I mean, great showmanship, and they had the spirit cabinet, but absolutely a- authentic and real. Ew, I don't know. I will, I will put this out there too, where it's not that you're just doubting their spiritualism mm-hmm. and their ability to work with the spirits, but as a historian, mm-hmm. are you doubting because they never said they were working with the spirits themselves? And they broke down how it worked. I think it's, I think mine's more they broke down how it worked later. I think that's what really kind of, which I I feel like that kind of makes me a hypocrite because the Fox sisters, but I just feel like the Fox sisters, that's a whole different ball game. Ira didn't have any spite. <laughs> We're both very salty people periodically. <laughs> Ira had no one to take down with him when he spoke to Houdini. Exactly. Like Maggie being mad at Leia and having nothing mm. left to lose while being desperate, I can break that down fourteen different psychological ways. Exactly, and I understand why she did it. Exactly, Ira had none of those motivations. No. He was, as far as we know, he wasn't desperate for money. Yeah, his brother was the only person it would affect, and he had already died. Yeah. and he wanted the you know other old magician who knows things and we do stuff that's very similar who well, didn't wasn't old yet but you know what i mean like right. somebody who's in the know who gets the craft who's it's it's like a techie talking to another techie in the theater like you <laughs> you find your people and you're like oh my god do you remember the show where we did the thing yeah he wanted that kind of camaraderie and right. i think he told the truth to houdini personally i think i kind of do too I, I my gut says he told the truth yeah. Which and then maybe we just look at him as like amazing showman and yeah. putting on this show. And I mean, it's I mean, it's still impressive what they did mm-hmm. and traveling the world and who they got to meet and perform in front of. It's really incredible. I just it, it's it's I mean, it's not funny, but it's kind of interesting. Like 
how they did so well in so many countries. But like you'd have England and America and we're like, they were like, no, no, we're not. Doing we're not here for it. To be fair, England and the U.S. were where we had people really wanting spiritualism. Like by the True. time they got to Australia, it was all show. Right. Like, and it was right. even built that way. Like on the marquee, basically, they're going to be doing stuff. Not right. watch us contact the spirits and play music for you. Whereas early in their career, they were a little bit more pitched as spiritualists doing physical manifestations. And the U.S. and England took that seriously and yes. did not care for the tomfoolery. <laughs> no, that's a great point. I mean, when you have people like like Emma, who we talked about and all these. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. That does make sense why England and America would be like, no, not doing it. <laughs> Yes, they were hashtag not in the mood. But I I appreciate their dedication in the rebuilding of the spirit cabinets. And I mean, they really left a legacy because because they're using spirit cabinets. That became a thing in seances like that took off. And I mean, in a docu, there's a documentary about mediumship on a very popular <laughs> subscription subscription <laughs> platform. I don't really want to say the name. We're not getting but- sponsored. You don't have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it in um in one of the episodes they have a trance medium that goes into a spirit cabinet. Wow. And this is I know isn't mm, I have my own thoughts on that particular <laughs> trance medium. <laughs> I'll be honest. And unfortunately that same show had two or three amazing mediums and one got like 5 minutes of airtime but they gave a lot to the trance medium that I questioned. <laughs> oh boo. I know, which is like, you have some amazing people here. Why, why, why are we just giving them like five minutes? Like, but um, insider knowledge. I guess I can say this because I'm not naming the show. Um, they did reach out to some of the really other well-known mediums that are legit, and they got one or two, but the other ones were like, no, not having any part of it. <laughs> so, um, and it's funny the legit ones. I feel like didn't get much airtime, but. Isn't they got that like a little the way. bit. I know. Um, but uh, but that's all to say, I don't know when this was filmed, maybe 2019, 2020, but still the past couple of years, they um, the transmedium went into a spirit cabinet. And so they are still around um, this. So, I mean, they did leave a legacy in the spiritual world. Wow. That I, I mean, I didn't know people were still using those. So that definitely counts as an impact left on the world behind you i mean it does i don't know how often they're used but i was really surprised to see that and they bound her hands and her feet covered her with a curtain of course all lights off and i want to say there may have been ectoplasm oh come on i well they didn't show it they didn't let the cameras in okay and this is, I mean, I'm saying this as a believer. I mean, this is a believer. And I'm even like, I don't trust this. There's something, there's, there's some funny business going on with this one. But, um, but yeah. And, and so I, I think, I know she was in a trance, but I think they said there was ectoplasm. The people that like came out after were talking yeah, about it. Fair. I, oh, okay. First of all, we all know how I feel about ectoplasm. I know. And how often it's not real. Um, but, oh, my instinct on that one is, um, if somebody 
who is not a plant in the audience and is right. not somebody in your entourage suggesting it and not you yourself, if somebody outside of your entire circle asks that your hands and feet be tied so that physical manifestations can't be tied to you, mm-hmm. I might be inclined to believe you. But if mm-hmm. you come in saying, look, tie my hands and feet, I'll prove that it's not me. I'll be like, all right, who's accused you of faking it with your hands and feet and why? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're coming in hot with a defense for an accusation I didn't make. Exactly. Exactly. I I definitely believe physical manifestations happened. I believe physical mediumship was real, but I also just think it was the easiest to get away with <laughs> to to fake as well. So um it just and yeah, and and you don't see it often, but if you watch well, no, I was about to say, if you watch that show, you see it, but you don't. They cut off the cameras. They don't let cameras in. Is that because the ectoplasm included magazine cutouts tacked to gauze? <laughs> I mean, it's, let's, let's see. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It's the 21st century. Hopefully we've come farther than magazine cutouts. You would think so. Okay. Computer printouts of pictures. <laughs> Oh, I know. I remember my mom watched the show, too. And she's like, what do you think? Like, there, like I said, there are some amazing ones on there. She's like, what do you think of that one? And I'm like, Mm-mm. no. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> mom wanted your judgment. And she already knew when she was asking. She already knew. I'm like, go back to the other one on the show. Let's let's go back to that one. <laughs> that one's impressive. But someone I know that was approached and knew one of the people on it. They're like, yeah, there were some amazing meeting, amazing mediums on there, and then there was a- another one. <laughs> Just kind of like <laughs> left it at that. And we were all in class, and we're like, uh huh, we know who. It is. We watched it too, and we know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe this is a PSA: be careful what you see on TV. <laughs> Like, just be mindful, too. Of- we all hopefully know by this point in time that movies are magic. Yes. And yeah. that can translate to quote unquote documentaries. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny? I didn't think we'd talk about this tonight, but it kind of goes hand in hand with the past and kind of influencing the future a little bit. But um, that's real. I I am fascinated by them. And um, and it's kind of like, were they thrown into this young? I guess that was kind of my last question. Because I know that started when they were young and like their dad quit their job to be their manager. But like, were they pretty young when they were kind of pushed into this? They were, let's see. Math. I feel like I'm interviewing you. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just generally curious. Like Math wise, I think William was 15 and Ira wow. was 17 but let me get an actual young. calculator I mean not as young as the Fox sisters but yeah young yeah no oh god what were they like 10 and 12 that depends on which account <laughs> well, you're listening to I was about to say, about to say <laughs> we don't really know <laughs> but um yeah definitely and and I know it's a different time period but still these are kids oh no uh Ira was 13 William was 11 maybe oh they were young yeah they were they were younger than i was giving them credit for actually now that i'm actually wow doing the math there's a reason i use calculators um yeah third 13 and 15 yeah 13 and 15 not not 15 and 17 that's what i said initially yeah 13 and 15 gosh it's like child stars yeah i mean it has an effect on your development and your it does 
personality. Like when you're in showbiz at a young age, whether it's community theater, whether it's beauty pageants, <laughs> whether it's full on Hollywood or the music venues, it has an effect on you. But I mean, like anything yeah. that happens to you in the teen years will have an effect on you. Like, right. Just because you're not in the limelight doesn't mean you're not going to be traumatized by life. So. <laughs> right. Well, it was it was really cool to learn more about them tonight yeah. and like get a little insight into who they were. I enjoyed reading more about them, too, because like the little I, I have to let you listen to the I mean, the audiobook kind of chomps. They need a better narrator. Um <laughs> but the Houdini book really is interesting in the chapter that he covers on them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the details. Like it mentions in passing the riot in Liverpool, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mention what happened in the other parts of England. It doesn't happen mention what happened in France. It doesn't go into the detail about Australia and India and other parts of Asia. Like it doesn't have the detail that so many of the other articles that I read had. Getting into it was definitely a much richer story than I thought it was going to be. I was a little bit worried that it was going to be very superficial skimming. Right. But nah, they had, they had some very engaging things happen to them. No, that's really interesting. And I was checking, they are mentioned in Mr. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The History of Spiritualism book. I'm not surprised because if you make Houdini's list, you're going to meet, you're going to make Conan Doyle's list. I know. I was just curious because I had the, I mean, it's, it's my desk, so of course I have the book like sitting right here. Actually. I'm like, I wonder if I know. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder if they made the book, and they did. I mean, I, I'm not going to obviously read it right now, but they are. They are in it. Very cool. Very, very interesting. It'll be interesting to see what he has to say. But bless him, I felt like he supported everybody. I don't know why he just feels like this guy that just like believed everybody and supported everybody. I probably haven't because he was the know. guy who supported everybody and believed everybody. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. He was the uncle everybody wanted to back them in their performances. Yes. So I, I will have to read. I'm I'm very curious. Maybe I, uh, maybe I can report back next <laughs> podcast of what, what Mr. Dole, what he had to say about them. I think so. In his book. I love it. Well, this was, thank you, Caitlin, for sharing their history. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And thank you all so much for listening. As usual, if you enjoyed this episode, please do us the favor and appease the podcast gods. Like, we say this a lot, but please rate and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to the podcast. And while you're there, hit subscribe so that you don't have to check and see when we release new episodes. You can just be told that we released a new episode. Yes. And of course, like we said at the beginning, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode. And if there are any spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes, you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at Calling All Spirits Pod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, you can try constructing your own spirit cabinet and trying to contact us through there. I do have a small request. Please don't try to use my closet door as a conduit. I will be very upset if I hear knocking or music coming from my closet at two o'clock in the morning. That's just creepy. (laughs) Let's not do that, okay? (laughs) Just straight up make a deal right now. Please don't do that. I love it. Well, until (laughs) next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.